Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 287 on Tuesday, the 12th of November, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, whilst one half of the podcast will be taking lessons on how to walk down a hill, we'll be asking how bad is the global market for OEMs right now? We speculate if autonomous vehicles should be testing on public roads yet, and we are thankful for Renault bringing something heartwarming for us all to enjoy at this difficult time. But first, some follow-up. And let's get to the big autonomous vehicle story, which is that some information has been released by the National Transportation Safety Board, the NTSB, from their investigation into Uber's accident where the lady Elaine Hertzberg was killed by a test vehicle for the autonomous technology that Uber was trying to develop at the time. Just to be clear, this isn't the final summation. This isn't a final report or anything. This is just some documentation and some information to do with all this now. And what they have released is that the which which we did know, but that Miss Hertzberger was she was identified and spotted, but the the software didn't know what to identify her as. But also the Uber software didn't actually account for someone walking across a road is one of the big takeaways from no, 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 no. Yes, it didn't account for people crossing a road, not on a crossing, not on a designated crossing. Yes, jaywalk, jaywalking's the American term for it, isn't it? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, crossing when you're not meant to. I was, I've actually just finished reading a really interesting book, the name of which escapes me. Uh, and it was by Samuel I. Schultz. Uh, now, we talked about one of his other books a little while ago, all about traffic management. Uh, he's the guy that was the, um, that was the traffic commissioner for New York City. And he's written another book on AVs. Okay. Uh, and it's really good and really interesting. And this is, but this is one of the things that he talks about in it. Actually, right up front, right at the start is the history of towns and cities being forced to be car. Um, <clears throat> but basically, everyone else was corralled around the place to enable the car to get around. Yeah. Uh, and one of these was, was things in some cities where they were basically fencing in fencing in the... Um, fencing in the, the pavements and the introduction of jaywalking laws... Uh, and all sorts of stuff across the U.S. in most, in, in many, if not most, states. Um, and one of the things that he he observes there about autonomous vehicles is that one of the things that that can't be allowed to happen uh, is that the rest of the world is forced to change its behaviours to accommodate the AVs. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. So things like you must only cross, a, you must only cross at a crossing. <laughs> it re- no, it really is, and I, I meant to say to you at the weekend. I actually meant to tell you at the weekend the, about this and about the book, and I hadn't thought about it until just there when when we were speaking. It's really good. I'm sorry. I will look up. Uh, I will look up what the book's called, and I will will tweet it out or something. Okay, don't, no problem. Well, just just to finish off the Uber bit, though, uh, there were other things in um, Uber's software, such as. They had something called an action suppression, which is the software would wait a second to decide 
once it spotted a potential issue to decide if it was still an issue and then to do something, uh, which is an interesting take. It's an awfully things. long time, isn't it? Well, yes, because uh, wrapped up in all that was because they were more, well, it is implied and suggested in the information from NTSB that the engineers and the people running the program are more worried about false positives and the vehicles breaking sharply when they misidentified something. So this mm-hmm. was their way around. I remember that at the time, it. actually. Yeah. So there, there is another article uh, from Automotive News Europe which talks about more of the other issues that Uber was having at the time in their self-driving testing regime, such as there was a number of accidents. Uh, not all of them were because of the autonomous vehicle it needs to be stressed or the autonomous vehicle test mm-hmm. bed. This is other vehicles crashing into them, that sort of thing, you know, just gen- what would happen to a normal car on the road. Uh, 33 of the 37 crashes were another vehicle striking test vehicles. To give you an idea, you know, in, in, in fairness. Yeah, because as happy as I am to put the boot into into AVs, uh, it, we, need to, we need to be fair with reporting this and not do the sensationalised... Oh look! It's like those electric vehicles. Oh, the electric vehicles on fire! Oh, you know, ignoring all the normal internal combustion engine vehicles that go on fire in a day. So we're not up for that at all. Uh, this needs to be this needs to be fair and accurate, uh, not not sensationalised. Mm-hmm. So this is now the public can see another example of the tech bro hubris because this is driven A by culture. Bit, yeah. This has yeah. been driven well, by lot, culture. And the culture of the company was get this going, make it happen, do, 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 not thinking through the or, – or ignoring the consequences. Uh, and I worry, particularly mm-hmm. as you look at some other organizations, suppliers, and people in this space, and still today you read some of their stuff they release and you go, ooh, that's – are you sure? Because that looks like it's marketing – puff pieces to try and make mm-hmm. us think they're around the corner and they're not and they and they shouldn't be but hopefully this this causes regulation the right amount of regulation as well not not just regulation for regulation's mm-hmm. sake the right amount of regulation to be brought in and also i hope it helps people understand how self-regulating is not acceptable with this <laughs> No, 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 not with this kind of thing. Because it's trust. It is in many situations, but but not not with this. This this isn't this isn't doing very well under self regulation. No, no. Interesting one though. Yep. Should we move on to uh, how rumours have become truths <laughs> in the space of a couple of days? <laughs> well, yes, yes. So, um, Alpha Romeo uh, has they have announced their plans. To well, it was a rumor that was going around, but uh, Alpha Romeo has announced that it's gonna, it's 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 putting the shutters down on its future performance car plan, which you will remember that um, under the late Sergio Marchioni, there 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 were many grand plans announced for Alpha Romeo and humongous model ranges and, and, and all sorts of things were, were, were forthcoming uh, on on many PowerPoint slides. Um, and unfortunately, that, that doesn't look like it's going to happen. Not at, not at the moment. And there's a surprise. 
And there's a surprise. Well, it was a kind of, I don't know, part of it with me on this story is, is why is this a surprise to anyone? It, well, we mocked them when it first came out. We did. At the time, at the time, we were, we were bitter and twisted about it, and we seem to be right. So, a uh, mid-engined 8C is not going to happen, and a 600 brake horsepower GTV two-door coupe based on the Julia is not going to happen. Uh, and the 4C has been killed off as well, which was a surprise to me anyway that it was still being made. Yes. Kind of cool and different vehicle that it is, it, it seems that there is a general consensus that it was flawed to hell, uh, and some people were sharing opinions on and, and reasons why that was the case uh, recently. Um, but of course, Alfa Romeo, part of uh, FCA, so the merger has been announced with, with PSA that we covered in great detail last week. And people are somewhat grumbly that, that <laughs> what is going to come out from Alfa Romeo... I think you put that very politely. <laughs> for those of you who aren't Meritish, that means people are having the screaming heebie-jeebies. Uh, <laughs> that what they're going to, to have instead is introduce two new SUV model lines and an electric model. That's in addition to the Stelvio and Julia. And people are going, oh my goodness, that's three SUV model lines, one saloon, and something that's electric, but we don't know what it is yet, according to this Evo article anyway. It's probably going to be an SUV. Yeah. But there's a reason why they're SUVs, isn't there? What's that, Alan? The reason is that people buy SUVs. Yes, exactly. And people can justify SUVs. And that people don't buy sports cars. And that people don't buy don't buy coupes. They really don't buy coupes. Ask Infinity if you want to know how little they buy coupes, I think. Well, I think we can we can look back at the Toyota 86 and the Subaru BRZ for an example of that. But this is, I'm so glad you brought that up as the example. Everyone who's driven that has said that is the perfect sports car. It's got just the right amount of power. It's great fun. It's affordable. It's brilliant. Go out and buy it. And hardly anyone has gone out and bought them. So what what, what are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to do? Going right back before that, Andrew, it was worse than that. When it came out, the first thing everybody said was, oh, that's quite expensive. I'm going to wait till they're second hand. How does that work? <laughs> and everyone who was in that target, that market, they all wanted to wait till they were secondhand. So no sod bought them. That, quite frankly, that Toyota and Subaru have announced there's going to be a second generation. I am surprised, really surprised that Very that's happy. the case. Because not enough. Oh, I'm delighted, by the way. I really am. Because I, I had the, the BRZ for a week and I, I thought it was fantastic. I've driven the. I've driven the GT86 on track a couple of times. Never driven it on the road. But I'm not imagining it's a million miles different from the BRZ, although I'm sure that some fine-tuning is different. Mm-hmm. He says before he gets lynched. I mean, and it's the same here. It's it's like people, there aren't small, affordable coupes and sports cars because people aren't buying them. The people who are in the affordable bracket tend to be in the affordable bracket because they 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 need affordable, so they buy a family car, and that's what they do, and that's why hot hatches are popular. Yeah. And my problem is that a lot of the people who are grumpy and whinging either haven't driven any of the other Alfa Romeos. They're basing it on. I made fun of the Busso the other week, and I'm, I'm glad. No. And no, I'm surprised. I'm not glad. I don't care, really. Uh, but I'm surprised that nobody picked me up on that. 
you know, and, and there's, there's, it's great to support a brand. It's great to want a brand to succeed. It really is. And I do. I, I want Alpha to succeed. I, I have not owned an Alpha. I feel at some point I should because it's one of those things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and we'll discuss this in a, in a few weeks' time. I'm sure you'll hear all the rest of this. In order to survive, though, they have to make money and be profitable now. Exactly. And that's the thing, is that Alpha are not selling enough. You know, the, the Stealth is, is quite a big car. It's quite an expensive car. Although it's an SUV, they need something that's more achievable. And people are buying the SUVs. And that's why the Levante, I, I posted a picture of the concept on, on, on Instagram the other day, purely by fluke, by the way, not knowing that this was coming up. And stuff. they need people in there. And they need for the SUVs to be making the money so that they can then sell, they can then build the stuff which doesn't make the money. Yeah, because if we equate this, and and I'm and I, I know it's it's a bit of a stretch, but if we equate this to Porsche, everyone who's been sensible about it acknowledges Porsche needed to build the SUVs they did, and that is what has made the, helped make the company so profitable, so that the Cayman can be built, the 911 can continue to be built, that sort of thing, and now they're developing electric, uh, the, the Taycan and stuff like that. So, what's wrong with using that business model on Alfa Romeo? I want gorgeous two-seater coupes and, you know, that sort of thing. But all I can do is moan a bit on Twitter, but I can't afford to buy them. So at the end of the day, Alfa Romeo aren't going to listen. The board isn't going to listen to me specifically if I'm not the one who's going. I would give – here's the cash – if you had a two-seater coupe, they may listen. I'm just going, Mm -hmm. oh, I'd like to see them on the road, please. (laughs) That doesn't pay our bills, guys. Exactly, and yeah, and and so somebody commented earlier on where well, we can dream uh, about you know they were saying that there was that what I I choose to believe they were saying that what I was saying was essentially right, but they still needed stuff so that people could could dream, and and I agree with them. I, I think it was a fantastic point, but dreams don't make companies any money. Yeah, at the minute, their their Halo product at the minute is is the Stelvio Four Cheese, isn't it? It's really the Julius Four Cheese. It's the one that they will tell you is probably the Halo one. Although I think the Stelvio is more expensive. Yeah, so that that's that's the Halo at but the yeah. moment until they can solidify the business model and then they can come out with the hmm. Halo model. I mean, you look at you look at Lotus, you look at Aston Martin, you look at Maserati's these companies. The same. Yeah, these companies are having to they're having to become sustainable. They everyone's realizing. Mm-hmm. And understanding you've got to be sustainable or forget all the pipe dreams. Look at the the Danny Bapaha dream season at Lotus. You know, let's have yeah. 75 models and they're that all going well. to be mega hypercars. Oh, I'll, I'll get a new job now, lads. See you later. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's got it. We, we all want all the car companies to succeed because we all then have a wider choice and a wider option of vehicles. And it's great to see some differences. But at the end of the day, it's business. Mm-hmm. It's business. It's just we happen to be real, you know, geeky. Uh, let's remember that. Let's remember that article that was the and finally last week. Yes, exactly. And the one other thing is, I bet many of the people who are dissing some of these uh, haven't actually driven uh, many of many, if any, of the current Alfa Romeo range of, of two different vehicles. But yeah, I, I recommend trying that and thinking. Well, maybe these SUVs aren't going to be so awful. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Anyway, 
Let's move on to new news, mm. and it is the news that Tata, who, if you remember, owns Jaguar Land Rover, has been approaching other companies to form some sort of partnership, maybe an equity one, maybe just a uh, technology development but with the likes of bmw and geely initially and this is at very early stages to try and help out jlr who have been struggling i mean it's not so long ago they had to do that 3.9 billion write down and everything and then Mm -hmm. there's another article about jlr uh, which i'll come to in a minute as well but they're just this this is something that i think is going to happen more and more. And I think we've discussed this a few, quite a few times. The global market is yep. not great. And with the sudden, and it is for, for these OEMs, it is quite a sudden change of direction and need to invest heavily in this new technology of electrified vehicles mm-hmm. and with automated safety systems as well. There is a lot of pressure yep. on R&D and there is a lot of pressure on coming up with these new things quickly into market and safely. And they're struggling to bear the costs on their own because the car market is mm-hmm. not as buoyant as it was. Particularly if you look at very specific markets, China down again, that's 16 months on the trot. I saw a, a headline yesterday Really? Wow, yeah. I missed that. So, and that was four percent down on this time last year, which was so. You know, we're we're well over the. It was already down. Now we're going down further. Type stuff. So that that's. I mean, four percent is one of their better months of only four percent down, but it's still down. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking the number of vehicles that China buys or registers in a month, that's four percent is still a lot. <laughs> It's a four percent of a massive amount, probably the entire year in the UK. I'd say getting on for it, yeah, just a massive, yeah. So, so these companies are going to have to have partnerships. They have to develop together. We've seen it working in uh, battery technology. We're seeing it working in the hydrogen technology as well. So, uh, I'm not surprised. And looking at this, what would attract people to JLR? If you look at the likes of BMW. I can see the Land Rover brand in particular being very attractive to, to Again. BMW. Well, yes. And with maybe the electric technology, you know, in the iPACE, because people are quite mm-hmm. positive about that. That's got a good range, that sort of thing. I worry that Jaguar is the harder sell out of the two. There, what, there are so many there are so many brands in that segment type of thing. Well, You've got, I mean, if it's Geely, they've got Volvo. So would it be Mm -hmm. the more sporty side of things where Volvo is the safety side of things? So Volvo have gone back to their safety. But but, but that's what Polestar's for, isn't it? Yeah, but Polestar's, now Polestar's the electric wing now, isn't it? Yeah, but Volvo's going to be electric too soon. It's all very confusing. So, uh, and Jaguar up against BMW? is there too much conflict, too much fighting over the same market there? Uh, I don't know, but 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 the Land Rover is easier sell, isn't it? With for both of them, I think that with anything with with Jaguar, then it's going to be then it's going to have to be a technology tie up, as opposed to uh, and a platform share, as opposed to a purchase a part of one part of the other. I don't I don't see that happening. 
And not with either of those brands. I, I'm not sure that BMW has necessarily that cash lying around at the minute because they've been struggling with with their sales and things like that as well. So mm. it, it's just a tough, tough time out there, basically. Which, yeah, I, I mean, so. what, what, because the, the other thing I was going to say about Jaguar uh, Land Rover is that they shut down on starting on November the 4th for a, for a week, which was going to be, which was originally planned because of the lovely 31st of October event that didn't happen. Uh, so again, another car company shut down and stopped production, and they reckon they're going to be like shy 12, of twelve thousand cars. Yeah, which will mean that they have, uh, and this is what one of their representative, who is it, Mardell, Adrian Mardell, who's mm-hmm. the chief financial officer, said that the inventory will be very, very thin in the quarter. So, and they expect more trouble next year as well. Obviously, on on <laughs> on the other hand, it means they have less stuff sitting around in. Yeah, it's a it's a handy way to cut oversupply. Yes, said Captain Cynical here. Yes, there there is not going to be a a flood of late registrations at the end of the month, is there? <laughs> no, it's just like well, we do have a we do we do have an oversupply issue. Maybe we should shut down. Oh, we'll we'll, we'll use we'll, we'll talk about Brexit for it uh, and and see what happens there. Let's see. I mean, to be honest, thin inventory is not necessarily a bad thing. In uh, no. in the automotive world, so a lot, lot of money tied up in that. Yeah, should we move on to more cheery, cheery, great news about OEMs and the and the market? <laughs> yeah, so Nissan's profit has plunged about seventy percent thanks to falling sales, foreign exchange, and rising costs. So it's all looking just brilliant there. Most of the losses in Japan, uh, supposedly Europe and North America, are still. Making money, but the operating profit has dropped to a mere uh, 30 billion yen uh, or 278 million dollars in that second fiscal quarter, according to, to Nissan themselves. Income fell by half. Yeah. Are you saying about North America and Europe? North America is not too bad, as you say, but Europe, they still have an operating loss of 10.1 billion yen, 93.6 million dollars. So Europe is not good. No, but it's it's less than the year below, year before. The year before yeah. was twelve point two billion yen, or one hundred and thirteen point one million dollars. Uh, but European sales European sales have sold twenty three percent. At which point they have said what everybody says at that point, which is, well, we're not chasing market share, and it's quality of customer. And the trouble is that one of the first times I ever saw I ever heard companies say that sort of thing uh, was Rover Group. We'll see what happened with them. <laughs> well, and the problem is, if you're a mass market OEM, you are chasing market share. I'm sorry, but you are. That's your job. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to disagree with that. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't. On the other hand, they're trying to tackle this. They're doing global restructuring plan that involves cutting twelve and a half thousand jobs around the world. They're looking to review business targets and the company's revival plan. Well, perhaps if they hadn't spent the last six months eating themselves and focusing on this, it might have been helpful. <laughs> well, there is that. Yes. Yes, there is that. That's, I mean, there, there are big issues. There have been big issues in the management at Nissan over this last quarter. I think that they've been too busy trying to do other stuff and have taken their eyes off the, eyes off the ball big time. Yep. Right. Uh, new, new car safety tech for 2022, Andrew. 
Yes, we talked about this uh, a few shows ago that there was a list of new safety car tech that they wanted to make mandatory if you are going to sell a new car in the EU. Well, that's now been approved, and this will have to be the case for cars from 2022. Just a little reminder of the sort of things we're talking about because it got everybody ever so upset last time. And there are, to be fair, some aspects of this which we should get upset about, and others we perhaps need to take a little breath and think about and realise it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. So there's speed limiters, automatic emergency braking. um, It depends on that one. Sorry, that one saved my bottom today. Okay. That one did save me this morning today. I thought you were in a train. Sitting there quite happy. No, I wasn't. I was in the wrong train, yes. Uh, No, this was on my way to the airport, not once I had landed at the other airport. Um, Sitting quite happily on the M1, pottering along in traffic, quite the thing. Variable speed limits, that's fine. All of a sudden, cars in front of me. All the lights, you know, everybody's like, everybody's like this. You know, nose down. Back to the cars in the air. And I've got to confess, the the, the system on the Stelvio uh, reacted more quickly than I did. And it actually had to break down already by the time my foot was on it. All right, okay. And it's not that I was being particularly inattentive, I'd like to point out. It's that I was just, I wasn't expecting something to happen. I was keeping plenty of space. It was all these kind of things. But turned out, as whilst everybody else had been gently keeping their speed, one car had gone into the back of another car on an area where there was four lane running, no, no, um, no, uh, uh, hard shoulder, uh, no hard shoulder, of course, nothing on any of the signs to tell anyone that the, that the lane should be closed. And it must have happened a few, you know, by the time I, by the time I was passing it, people were out their cars and wandering around the lane. <sighs> but anyway, I was saved by the by the AEB and the fact that it, it reacted a bit more quickly than me. So I don't have a problem with it. What is annoying sometimes, though, is whenever you're weaving through cars like you have to to get to my house and it's going beep, 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 and tell you to break. But yes, when it comes the, down to it... The, the false positives are, are my that's concern. That's those uber false positives again, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hopefully not that But then I, I, didn't, I didn't turn it off. I thought about it and I didn't, and I'm glad I didn't because when it's when it is a real positive, then these things can can, can fairly save your ass. Yeah, don't say I should have been concentrating more. Sorry, I'm just gonna. I just thought I had that. Okay, no, no, that's uh, that's valid, and that's what they're intended for. It's like I say, it's the problem mm. I have with mm. the the couple of systems where I've had to switch it off is the false positives, and mm. I don't think but, it's but we ready yet. But we know. Um, um, not in all um, circumstances. I, that's the problem. I, I don't think the parking in your street is very good. It's the, not my street that the problem happens. But th- this is the thing: is that, is that the challenge is if there are too many false positives, people will turn it off. And yet, when it's needed to work, uh, another another one of the systems is going to be an alcohol interlock installation facilitation. Basically, you've got to have a breathalyzer, and if you're over the limit, the car will not start. No. No, no, no! It's making that possible. I think is actually what it was. Which list are you? Which one are you? Which one are you reading from? Yeah, installation facilitation. It must be possible. It, they're trying to make it easier for people to fit, to, to, making it easier for these things to be fitted. They're not saying you must fit these. For sorry, yes, re- reading the article for previous offenders, this could involve. 
breathalyzers being installed. Yes. Yes. So that they are tested before Thank every you. drive. Yes. No, you're right to point that out. Because that was a proper tabloid headline job there. Yes, just after I was uh, saying we shouldn't do sensationalism, there was me falling straight into the trap. Yes. Drowsiness detection. Now, this is one that I am very nervous about because I've seen many suggestions, many plans where people install cameras that are filming the drivers at all time to say, oh, yes, they're not paying attention, etc. And that is a Big no-no as far as I'm concerned, because that is a massive invasion of privacy. I'm not even going there. Sorry, there is a level of tinfoil it, in this. It, it depends. I, I think but, no, it's think, not, no, it's not at all, Alan. That's unfair. You, you are on the, no, you are on the edge of tinfoiliness with that one. That is unfair, because it, there are, it depends on what the camera is doing. If it is just a pure infrared yeah. one, which is what Volvo are, tr- are suggesting they are going to be doing, but again, we don't know any more details on that, then mm. that is different. Which is essentially a motion sensor. Yes, but how are you going to get that accurate? I'm uh, not so sure. But anyway, that's a different thing because each person will need to be calibrated. <laughs> but that, that's, that's. I'm not saying there aren't huge flaws with this, by the way. No, 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 no. But if it is a going down the line of a video camera, as in a normal camera filming someone, and from that they are going to make a decision, then I don't like that at all. And that is not tinfoil hatty. Don't say that again. No, that's the no, that's the one that I think I said it was on the edge of, and I do feel that this is the one where where there can be an issue. Yeah, and if they are trying to claim they can do facial recognition, they can't. There's no system out there that can do it accurately. So please, everyone, stop doing that as well. So there are many flaws with that one. So I would be interested to know if they do drowsiness detection, like the Mercedes vans have done for somewhere, and others have, where they go, the car's been running for two hours time to take a coffee break that's that's mm-hmm. one thing and that i don't mind oh no i like that I, but i don't think that i don't think they will i don't think that'll be enough no that's what i fear that i don't think uh, but, but we don't but we the other thing is we don't know the details of these no that's the problem that, yeah that's what makes me worried with a lot of this is it's so loose that it could be it's a nudge to mm. me putting a proper tinfoil hat on and going absolutely crazy <laughs> Or, or, it, or it, yeah, absolutely. Or, or it could be as simple as, as you know, making sure it's similar to the hands on the wheel one. Have you jiggled the wheel in the yeah, last little yeah. while, as opposed to just just been doing it? So that that could well, that well could be enough. That could well be enough. But we don't know what the details are of how much is is needed. I'm not wonderfully keen on the cameras thing. Uh, cameras are the number of cameras about vehicles are starting to bring in all sorts of issues. Actually, I've heard mentioned, which goes which goes towards the tinfoil hatty end is like, okay, so there's a camera. What's it actually being used for? Yeah. And, and the storage and what happens with that data. Yeah, it's it's with all these things. The original core idea is a good one. And the, mm. the idea of what it's trying to help or mitigate or solve the problem, it is, it is a in an isolation, a valid thing. It's just what happens if it's installed is and then somebody goes, ooh, if we're doing that... Can we just do this? And that's where it all starts to go down the dreadful privacy creepiness yeah. side of things, which I don't want. Mm-hmm. We, we, we see you often eat sandwiches in your car. Would you like a McDonald's? Yeah. <laughs> Quite. Something like Sorry. that. Yes. No. Yes. Oh, well, uh, uh, the event data recorder as well, which is effectively going to be a black box in all new cars. 
That again, I don't like because they're saying that it will record uh, from moments leading up to and during an accident. Well, they don't know it's an accident until it's been an accident, so they're recording everything. So, how that's going to work in reality makes me very nervous. So, this has happened. This has been there have been cases involving these in the US uh, with some cars, I think Corvettes. Don't shoot me if I'm wrong on that. Where this has been, this has happened, and then insurance companies have gone off after all that data, and then said, "But," bah, and then declared many things as a result because they're insurance companies. But there is a big long list on motoring research uh, site. There's a whole long list, but then some of them just pertain to larger vehicles and vans, and others are HGVs and buses. So there's all sorts of things at different levels, which is actually quite. Good, I think. Yeah, the core problem they're trying to fix here, the core point they're trying to do is they are trying to improve safety and protection for passengers, pedestrians and cyclists, which I think we can all get on board with saying, yes, we want more of that. Again, devil is in the detail and the execution of this. And if it allows things to be exploited where they shouldn't be, that's where it all starts to go a bit wrong. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it won't. Yes, agreed. Should we move on to some, some cunningness? Some very cunningness, I think. Well, I, I think that there is a certain amount, yes, there is quite a high level of cunning in here, in that people with EVs who use the motorway network will be all too aware of the frustrations involved in using the charging points that are at motorway service stations. Unless you're in a Tesla. <laughs> Most of that, yes. Well, that, yeah, yeah, unless you're in a Tesla. This is, this is true. But ones for non-Teslas tend to be there mostly for their sculptural qualities as opposed to being anybody good at anything. Modern art. It's, it's, they've all been entitled How Businesses Fail. <laughs> Modern something, yeah. Well, yeah. <clears throat> yes. Um, the thing is that, that this one company, to which I, I am alluding, has the monopoly on motorway service areas. Uh, however, of course, there are many different fuel suppliers available at uh, different uh, different uh, service stations up and down the country. What's handy about that is that, of course, the fueling area in the petrol station zone is different from the motorway service area zone. And that, of course, if, say, a company provides a petrol of a number of different varieties and diesel of a number of different varieties, then there's nothing really to stop them providing electricity uh, of, well, one variety, really. A variety. <laughs> and so it happens. And lo, uh, what happens is that BP Charge Master, conveniently owned by BP, have decided, well, actually, you know what? We could stick a couple of our, uh, our 150 kilowatt chargers uh, at some of our motorway petrol areas, uh, fueling stations, and therefore we can circumvent this shameful display of lack of uh, investment in infrastructure. And and make the world better for EV users who do not drive Teslas. That's what they're going to do. So BP Charge Master is looking at putting uh, putting some 150 kilowatt chargers uh, up and down motorway networks at service areas which are co-located with one of their fueling stations. I think I got all the right legalese in there. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Company car today, by the way, is the linky for that one. I think it's Formula One engineering esque. It's a real, it's a, it's a real. We're not allowed to put it near the coffee shops, so we'll put it beside the fuel pumps. Yeah. Genius. Good thinking. Yeah, well, done. well done, chaps. I like that. Yes. 
Andrew's the one who puts in little things about congratulating people, and I normally cringe at them. But yes, I congratulate you for that one. That's a good <laughs> one. I like that. That appeals. Yeah. What's next? Congestion. Congestion. It doesn't just hit. <laughs> I say it's the late district. You know, congestion. It's like, oh. Yeah, it is, though. It is. The, it is. It is. Because... It's very easy for us to go congestion. Oh, it's just towns and cities. It's a rush hour problem only, et cetera, et cetera. However, the Lake District has a real big problem with vehicles. I mean, we've seen a few people that we follow on Twitter who live in the Lake District, well, one's moving away now, and the steps that have been taken by the local council to prevent people from just parking anywhere has impacted on the locals where they now can't park near their own houses and things. So the number of cars yeah. that turn up at the Lake District is, has really affected the area. Uh, I think it's one of the uh, the people here who said that, that it's been loved too much. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the problem. We So many of us go and visit. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was a great quotation. And uh, to get there via public transport is more expensive and is more tricky. They're looking at a diff- different options. And one of the options is that there'll be a a fee to have a vehicle enter the Lake District every year. So they're, they're talking about a £500 annual permit. They're trying to find a level for that fee that would act as a bit of a deterrent for those just trying to come in on a whim, but also shows or satisfies, the quote here is, an incentive to national parks to tolerate the continuation, which is an interesting amount for that to be the place. Uh, another thing they are thinking about is actually banning vehicles in certain zones and then having traffic mm-hmm. management uh, schemes, which, again, would be interesting. Uh, th- there's no indication whether that would include uh, electric electric vehicles, but also local residents would be allowed to drive in these car-free zones as well. That's that sort of thing. You know, it's not trying to... It, it's It's basically trying to deal with the visitors, and there's so many visitors and there's yes. so many cars that no one can enjoy anything. <laughs> Yes, I agree. The thing is that the Lake District actually has quite good actually has quite good public transport links and shuttle links for visitors. So, you know, a car isn't as necessary as you might think. And of course, you can always turn it into part of the visit by, you know, going on a boat on the lakes. Yeah. And enjoying the, the, the sights and sights and sounds from there. So uh you know, create more water taxis and uh, and though I, I mean, I we talked about the the Twizy hire car scheme that was yeah, in the did. Lake District. Yeah, a couple of years ago. And that, that looks a great idea. I mean, something small, two-seater. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, if you need more, then it's it's more people, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, it's a slightly bigger vehicle. But encouraging you to use transportation once you're there that is fit for purpose of the locale makes a lot of sense. So cycles, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Hopefully, this is thought through well. That's always the worry, isn't it, with all these things? Yeah. No, they've been they've been working up to this for quite a while, and there are already there are already all sorts of all sorts of things in in, in place, like like making sure that, that some of the local trains and things have have the ability to to carry bikes and things, so you can cycle one way and then get the train back, or vice versa. Um, so lots of things to try and improve the amount of leisure things, l- leisure transportation, as well as pure transportation to, to, to get to, so that people don't feel they have to drive everywhere as well. Yeah, because the other thing is as well, just thinking, trying to think this through a bit, bit further and a bit more uh, a wider uh, benefits to society, if these sort of schemes can be made to work there, 
the people visiting will see, oh, I don't always need to take the car, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And then they start to adopt that sort of thing at their home. It doesn't not necessarily mean in a city or whatever, but wherever they live that they go, actually, I can do, I can take the bike to the shops or, you know, whatever it is, but just opening, it's opening people's yeah. minds. And a holiday is a great time to do that because you're outside your normal routine. So you will mm-hmm. try other things. And I, I just, I, I hope it works. And and if, if it works there, it gets adopted in other national parks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Again, if it's not too restrictive. Uh, however, it is, it's nowhere near halfway. It's well past halfway. Uh, End of the first part guilt again. minute. <laughs> yes. But it is guilt minute to that part, point in the show where we remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button on the front page. If you're already a patron, then thank you so very much. Uh, We understand, of course, that not everyone has the ability to do this, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast player of your choice. If you've done all that already, then big gold star, top of the class... You are an absolute gem, so why not tell somebody else who you think would enjoy this uh, and tell them all about us? If for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, how's about doing so for free? Uh, Making sure that we come to you without the anxiety and worry that you might miss the next new show. If you need any help with podcatchers, podcast players, anything like that, then do just get in touch. Uh, We'll be happy to help you out no matter what flavor of platform you wish to listen from. Absolutely. Right. Should we should we speed on to the next article? It sounds like it, yes. Bloodhound. LSR. Sorry, it's a form there's um, ten days or something until the next Formula E. It's coming up very soon. Yeah, it's not this weekend, it's the weekend after. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, Bloodhound has passed five hundred miles an hour in testing. It has hit five hundred and one? Yep. Five hundred and one miles now. Uh, in South Africa. And the testing is going really well. Well they had uh, you were describing last week, weren't you, that they were having problems with the sensor. I think it was at the weekend, yeah. But I think they've they've drilled down to the bottom of that and now I saw pictures mm. of them putting the whole vehicle back together again um, and saw somebody messing with a PCB board and things yeah they were having trouble with with heat uh, in and under the into the under the shrouding and there were alarms going off and 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 stuff was cutting out so what they did was over the weekend there they actually split the top and bottom half lifted all the cover off and they found that it had been overheating i i'm not quite sure what the solution was in the end they're really good on social media by the way on on instagram in particular uh, they're well worth they're well worth following. There's a good couple of updates a day, lots of really cool little videos and pictures and stuff, and you can learn so much. It's great. Yep. So that's where they're at. It's looking good. I don't think they're intending on. I mean, this really isn't intended to be the run where they pass a thousand miles an hour or the set of runs. This is all about. This is all about learning. Because nobody knows. I mean, if you've not heard Mark Chapman's review, do go listen. It's cracking. Because this is all about them learning. Data, data, data. Data, data, data. Yeah. As much as they can get. That's why they're doing all these run profiles. So, you know, they'll say, right, we're going up to this speed, and then we're slowing without a parachute. And then later that day or the next day, they go up to the same speed, and they slow with a parachute. 
The idea being that they can then work out, well, okay, that's how much drag the parachute gives us. So how much bigger does the parachute need to be? We can extrapolate. We can do stuff. So cool. So clever. Yeah. And I'm so pleased it's going so well. There was a great thing at the weekend, by the way, I noticed. Someone saying, yeah, it doesn't sound big or clever, does it? 500 miles in an hour in an absolutely straight line across the desert. Post the picture and it's like, well, notice that the two tracks at the back – Two of the tracks are off to one side. They're not central. That's because it's not going straight. <laughs> it has, I can't remember what they said, Andy Green. Andy Green described it as it's something of uh, one degree of yaw on the straight ahead at 500 miles an hour. And, and whoever's post it was, and I'm sorry, I can't remember, was saying, to the rest of us, that's called oversteer at 500 <laughs> miles an hour. <laughs> that it wasn't tracking straight. Just amazing. Really yes. amazing from an engineering and a human standpoint. Do I? I cannot stress uh, how much how much you should follow that. Yep, absolutely. I'll stop now. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, something that's going uh, really well to something that's had to be cancelled, and that is the last round of the World Rally Championship. Rally Australia has been cancelled due to the horrific bushfires that are spiralling further and further out of control. Uh, the sensible decision was made to not put anybody in any danger and to allow the area to concentrate on getting people safely out and dealing with the fires. Yeah, rather than having visitors coming in. Exactly. I've seen a tweet that says all the rally teams have donated their food to to be given to the emergency services and the people who have been uh, who have had to be evacuated and stuff. So that's just a small small gesture by the. Uh, the rally teams uh, which will which will mm-hmm. makes will make a difference and obviously i hope everybody in that area is is safe and gets out yeah. of there and the fires are brought under control as, as quickly as they humanly can be it's just they they're just so immense and so horrific it's it's just yeah and the size and scales in australia are baffling to to those of us who live in little cozy europe to be honest well the bottom road that goes along the bottom of australia that's obviously mm-hmm. been shut because the fires are there out of Sydney. And they said, this is the alternative route, and it basically takes you round the Northern Territory and back around the other side. So just to give you an indication. How many hundred miles longer? Many, 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 many days longer. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, just, just to give an idea of the scale. Uh, lunchtime read, Alan. Lunchtime Read is about the resilience of brands. It comes from a driven to write, still the world's least influential motoring site, according to its tagline, uh, and it's by <laughs> Christopher Butt. It's talking about BMW mm. and the strength of brands and the potential erosion of brands. And it's not hugely long, nope. but it's it's well worth those those few minutes of your time to read it. It's quite interesting. I, I don't think it's unfair. Uh, I don't think it's it's unreasonable in any way, but it, it's it's just, okay, what happens next when you're having issues yep. uh, as a brand with, with, with funny models, with... Challenging design. <laughs> ch- challenging styling, yes, that kind of stuff. That's, that, that's the phrasing I was looking for. It's, I didn't realise this is, this is from July, actually, but it's, um, it's good. Have a, have a read. Have a read. Yep. Uh, link, as ever, in the show notes, by the way. Yes. 
Right, I'm going to move quickly on to the list of the week, and it's another Top Gear's Top 9, and this time it's titled Reinventions of the Steering Wheel, and this is nine of the weird and wonderful steering wheels that have, have graced vehicles' interiors in the, in, <laughs> over time, and number one is the Austin Allegro, and basically... That normally that normally is enough to, to just make me ignore the rest of a list, mm. Okay. Anything which starts off with an Austin Allegro reference is not normally good, but I, I promise you that the rest of this one is is put it like this: Austin do not have the most entries in here, and it no. includes a Citroen DS. Yes, uh, they're talking about steering wheels that aren't what you expect. So uh, Aston Martin one seventy seven gets a gets a shout because of the straight sidedness of their steering wheel. <laughs> and then there's things like the flat bottom on the Audi R8 Mark One, which of course has been adopted by many sporty cars. We know it's sporty because it's got a flat bottom because it's sporty. The, the e Golf <laughs> has a flat bottom, and it is the least sporty car I have driven in quite a long time. It has, uh, sorry, a flat bottom steering wheel. It also has a flat bottom, but yeah, <laughs> uh, Citroen as well in the mid two thousands that where they kept the uh, steering wheel boss fixed and mm. had all buttons and yep. switches on it, which I thought C4. was quite a good, yeah, I thought it was quite a good little design, but it's just a shame the rest of the packaging around it wasn't as wonderful. Yeah. Had special flaws. So. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then there's uh, the Mercedes. So they, they pile into the Mercedes E-Class of 2016 because it has a touch sensitive pad or oh, has touch-sensitive pads on the steering wheel, because what you need when you're driving is to just be gently gliding your thumb over a touch-sensitive pad to go through menus. No! No, 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 no. Please don't do that. Come on. It's like they've disassembled two Blackberries and just put the little swipey bits from Blackberries in the middle. Yeah, that yeah, I just well. think, well, that <sighs> sounded good. That, that must have sounded good when you were all sat on beanbags having your lattes in a in a thought environment or wherever they call it, but it was not a good idea in execution. <laughs> uh, and But then, of course, they've got the utterly wonderful Citroen DS steering wheel, which uh, there is nothing wrong with it, and it's a shame other people haven't followed suit. <laughs> Just completely minimal, yes. Yes. Minimum viable steering wheel. Yep, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So go and click through on the link and see some of the other wheels that I have not mentioned. You can you can see the glory of all the wheels I have mentioned. Uh, there are there are many buttons. There are many shapes, often squarish, which is quite weird. Hmm. Anyway, yes, good one, well found, sir. Uh, and well, we're at the end. Uh, and finally, this week is the new Renault Clio advert, uh, the cause of much dust across the nation uh, earlier on today. I think. Yes. Um, certainly big grown rugby playing men going <laughs> and to be honest I, I stood I stood and watched it in the middle of an airport terminal and was not I, I was not prepared for this many emotions in one advert mm. okay um, I, I know that I am particularly empathetic but if it's any consolation it makes you forget that it's about a Renault Clio uh, to be perfectly honest and how they can tell yep. a story so strong in two minutes and ten seconds it's 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 
fantastic. So, yeah, it, it's great. Please do. I mean, you'll have seen it on TV, possibly. If you're like me, you're probably not. But do follow the the linky in the show notes, uh, or do go to the Rena UK YouTube channel, preferably via the link in our show notes, because then we get the clicks. And and do spend two minutes and ten seconds watching it because it's it's quite something. It really is. Yeah, it is. Well done, Rena. That's about us this week. It is, it is, it is, it is, it is, it is. Parish notes. Last week's review, Chris Hughes from the Peugeot Sport Club UK. Yes. So that's out. Uh, special edition this Friday. Mm-hmm. It's one with a guest as well, isn't it? And it's, it's a it new is. special edition. It, it is. is. It's, it's, it's not quite a review. It's not quite a special edition. It's somewhere in between. Yes. <laughs> I think that's about, is that about right? I haven't heard yeah, that's, it, that's um, true. but I'm assuming that's the case. Yeah, uh, another thing, uh, I, forgot, I forgot to mention this. Uh, I was on a podcast talking about connected and autonomous vehicles, the Jenny Radcliffe Surprise. ITSB's podcast, I think it is. And yes, and Alan wasn't there, so he couldn't He couldn't say you're being tinfoil hatty. Uh, I was talking with Ian Tabor, who's a, a vehicle security or cyber security expert. He runs car hacking villages in the UK and, and gets to go abroad with them. He's he's basically built a car's dashboard and the infotainment system in a box and he takes that around with him to show people what, what can be accessed and fiddled with and changed mm-hmm. and messed around. He is somebody who will be on rear view, definitely, because he's a fascinating chap and the, the stuff he knows is really good. So uh, there is that if you hunt that out in your uh, podcast as a choice, if if connected and autonomous vehicles sort of tweaks your... And Jenny's stuff's really interesting anyway. Uh, it's far, far more people-centric than, than technology-centric, really, um, but at least as intriguing, even if you're not a people person. Probably all the more interesting if you're not a people person. I think that's that's fair to say. Um, yeah. So so yes, do do look at that. Andrew was was sharing the links, and I, I retweeted them earlier in the week from the the podcast account. I will make sure flick those out another couple of times this week. Um, that pretty much rounds us up, I believe. Uh, but don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Don't forget about our patron offer, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Andrew, if people want to know more, where they can hear more of you because they are total masochists, what's the best way for them to get in touch? <laughs> Yes, if they if they need to get to sleep quickly, if they get in touch with me via Twitter, if you search for Crack Windscreen, you will find me there. And Alan, if people want to discuss train timetables with you, what's the best way for them to do that personally? I'm great at train timetables. I think you're 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 being very unfair there. What I'm not good at doing is reading train signs in a country I've never got a train in before. The best way, however, is Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley, B-I-E-D-L-E-Y, and you can share my intentional and unintentional travels around Europe. We will be back next week, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.